Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that we may hear your word with joy and in your will find peace. Amen. Listen for the word of the Lord from the book that we love. Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make music to him on the ten-stringed lyre. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples, but the plans of the Lord stand firm forever, the purposes of his heart through all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he chose for his inheritance. From heaven, the Lord looks down and sees all humankind. From his dwelling place, he watches all who live on earth. He who forms the hearts of all, who considers everything they do. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So Psalm 33 opens with a call to worship. Specifically, a call to sing. Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Throughout history, singing has been a key part of worship. Music has a unique way of expressing our deep joys and longings before God. And one of the things I especially love about music is the way that it draws people in. Singing in worship is one of the most communal things that we do. When we sing together, we share words and rhythms and melodies. Music demonstrates that we are one people with one voice, even if you may not think of yourself as particularly musical. Worship involves our bodies, and music involves our bodies. When we sing, we have to breathe together. And even those of us who do not speak can listen and move our bodies to the music. Put another way, music invites us to participate in worship. Although I think it's worth 
pausing a minute to note that it doesn't do so perfectly, which is why it matters that we find ways to welcome everyone into worship, including people who do not hear or cannot move their bodies in the ways many of us can. There may not be any one single thing we can do that includes everyone, but we can be creative and find other ways to invite people to participate. For example, this is why sometimes you'll hear us up front, you've probably heard me today say a couple times, please rise in body or in spirit. Standing is a way that many of us use our bodies in worship, but it isn't necessary for us to stand in order to worship. By acknowledging that we can all rise in one way or another, even if it's not rising specifically to our feet, we remember that there's space for everyone to participate in worship. There's space for everyone within God's people. So even though music isn't a perfect way for everyone to worship, it can remind us that we are all participants in worship. Worship is not something that we receive, which it can sometimes seem like, especially when it means sitting and listening to one person talk, like we are right now. But we're a congregation, not an audience. Worship is not something we receive, but something that we do. And of course, worship isn't just singing. It's also praying, giving thanks, offering ourselves and our needs and our resources before God. While what we're doing right now is a worship service, worship is not limited to Sunday mornings. Worship is a matter of living our lives in a way that is oriented toward God. To worship is to listen for the Holy Spirit and to respond accordingly, wherever we find ourselves and whatever we are doing. It means aligning ourselves with God's plans and purposes. And as Psalm 33 witnesses, God's plans stand firm when human plans fail. And Psalm 33's call to worship doesn't stop with singing either. After the opening invitation to praise the Lord in song, the psalmist goes on to describe how God is sovereign, the ruler over the world, the nations, all of humanity, and God's own chosen people, that is the community of faith. And because God is sovereign over all these areas, we have the opportunity to fear the Lord to worship God who considers everything we do in how we live in all of those areas. Since God is sovereign over creation, we, as part of it, worship by caring well for the rest of creation. Since God rules all the nations and forms the hearts of all humankind, we worship by serving our neighbors and treating them with dignity. This sort of everyday worship might seem a bit distant from what we do here on a Sunday morning, but they're actually very closely connected. We don't stop caring for creation or serving our neighbors when we walk into the sanctuary or sit down with the live stream. The words I used earlier about rising are, a way we ex are an example of a way that we practice that care in worship. And more broadly, what we do and say on a Sunday morning can shape what we do and how we think about God during the rest of the week. And we bring everything that we have done and said during the week with us into worship. God gathers us here 
all of us and all that we do and are, to worship. And God sends us out with all that we have done here to continue worshiping in our daily living. To put this another way, at its best, a worship service is specific to its community. It pays attention to our circumstances here and now and how we can worship God in them. When we keep this in mind, what we do in our worship services shapes what we believe and how we live. And those things in turn shape what we do in our worship services. And one concrete way this plays out is in the music that we sing. There are a lot of factors that go into the process of deciding which songs we'll sing for a given service. Typically, those of us involved with worship planning, which right now is a lot of me because of sabbatical, but I usually talk with our musicians and with whoever is preaching that day. This week, it's, again, a lot of me. Um, but we try to start with the scripture text for the morning. And we look at songs that share themes with that text. We also consider which musicians are available to play and sing, what instruments they have, what songs we've sung recently, what kinds we've been missing, how familiar we as a congregation are with different songs, and which songs are meaningful to different people. There are a lot of things to think about. Especially for me, this last one, which songs are meaningful to different people. This one can be hard to do well. Because music is something a lot of people have opinions about. And I will be the first to say that includes me. We care about music. It's important to us because it draws us in. Because we have emotional connections and memories to certain songs. And as someone in a leadership position around music, I know that my preferences draw me towards some songs more than others, and that impacts what we all sing. But I also know the music that speaks to me won't always be the music that speaks to you. And the reverse is also true. The music that speaks to you won't always speak to me. So while worship is not about what we receive, so much as it is about what we give to God, I do want us all to be able to do that well as a community. And so while our preferences aren't the most important thing when it comes to the music we sing, I do try to keep them in mind for two reasons. First, because I think it is important to sing songs that help us feel close to God. And second, because I think there is a certain spiritual discipline to singing songs that we don't exactly like. Because there are songs that we wouldn't know if someone with different tastes didn't introduce them to us. And even if we don't really enjoy them, those songs can provide the opportunity for us to grow in our faith. They can make us think and notice the words we are singing when maybe we're just used to going sort of on autopilot with the ones we know. They can challenge us to notice our own preferences and assumptions and even lead us to discover something new about God and something new about our community that we're all a part of. For me, personally, this means that when I look through our music files as I think about an upcoming service, I do sometimes choose songs that I don't really like. And one of these 
is our song of response for today. It's a song I know is well-loved by many people, including many people here, and so it feels like a bit of a risk for me to admit that it is not one of my favorites. But the reason I want to talk about it, and the reason I say that, is because this is a song that reminds me why it's important to sing songs that matter to other people, even if I don't know or love them the same way. And I hope this glimpse of my experience can do some of the same for you. So the song I'm talking about is His Eye is on the Sparrow. And I think part of the reason for my feelings about it is that I did not grow up with this song. There are actually a number of hymns that I know are old favorites around here that I hadn't heard until I started here as an intern. And that's just because I grew up at a church that used a different hymnal. So there are songs I know and love from my childhood that some of you may not have heard of or actually that some of you may have grown up too if you have a similar background to me. And this is one of these. I hadn't heard of His Eyes on the Sparrow until I was probably about in middle school. And I remember it because it was at a funeral of a church member of my home church who loved to sing. And looking back now, I think his family must have chosen the song because of that. But at the time, I wasn't thinking about Paul singing the song, but about us, the people gathered at his funeral, singing it. And as I sat there, listening to the lyrics and trying to follow the melody that was unfamiliar to me, I thought, why are we singing this song at a funeral? I sing because I'm happy? No one here is happy that Paul died. And why should my heart feel lonely? I thought about his wife, who I knew was feeling lonely, and whose hope for her husband's recovery had died. And those words seemed like exactly the wrong thing to say to her, as if it were telling her not to be sad that her husband died because she had Jesus, and that meant she should be happy all the time. I wasn't happy. We weren't happy. But the song we were singing said, we were, said I was. And it felt kind of like I was singing a lie. And even now when I sing this song, I feel some discomfort because, well, I do sing, and sometimes I do sing because I feel happy. I don't always. Sometimes I sing when I don't feel happy or free. This is one of the most difficult things for me about selecting music for us as a congregation to sing in worship. It means putting words on other people's lips. And I don't know the current situation of every single person who enters this building or turns on our live stream. I don't know all of their fears or their worries or their hopes or their joys. And I can't know them all. I'm only one person. And yet, I still need to choose words that we all will sing. And this is where Psalm 33 serves as a way of centering for me. Psalm 33 opens with a call to abundant praise. Most of the psalm is itself a hymn of praise to the God who is sovereign over all creation. But notice the very end. The last three verses change their tone from the rest of the psalm. 
we wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. These verses are not the prayer of someone who is perfectly happy. This is the prayer of someone who is waiting, who's asking for help, declaring their trust in God's holy name, even though it seems God hasn't helped them yet. And this comes after 19 verses of exuberantly praising God's name and calling others to join that praise. I think of this psalm and others like it as psalms of defiance. It's as though the psalmist is saying, look, I know things aren't okay right now, but even though it isn't okay, I am going to declare God's goodness anyway because I know that this is who God is and who God will be for me even though I don't see it right now. This psalm is a declaration of trust in the form of praise. God's faithfulness means that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that means we can trust that if God is a God who loves righteousness and justice, whose eyes are on those who fear him and who delivers them from death and keeps them alive in famine, then we can trust that that God will continue to be that God. God will continue to love righteousness and justice. God's eyes will remain on those who fear him, and God will deliver us again. God's people have made this declaration of trust and praise for centuries, from the days when this psalm was first written until now. And that's why I, too, keep singing, why we keep singing together. Sometimes we sing songs like His Eye is on the Sparrow because we do feel happy and free. And sometimes we sing them defiantly. We do not feel happy and free, but we choose to sing them anyway as a declaration of our trust in our faithful God. And it is worth saying, I think, that sometimes we cannot sing this way. Sometimes it is too much. And our pain is so great that we cannot bring ourselves to speak those words, let alone sing them. And the Psalms are a witness that in worship, there is room for that too. Of the 150 Psalms in the Bible, the most common kind of Psalm is the Psalm of Lament. These are Psalms that publicly bring anguish before God, acknowledging the depth of our pain both individually and communally, and asking for deliverance. Even the psalmists acknowledge that sometimes we do not have the strength to sing. Psalm 137 describes the people of God exiled from their land at the mercy of captors who ask them to sing us a joyful song. And in verse 4, the psalmist asks, how can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? How can we sing when our captors are leaning over us, when our cities are torn down and our families torn away from us? 
how can we sing so far from home? And Psalm 137 never answers that question. But it sits in the company of other psalms, like Psalm 33, that do sing God's praises, that were composed by people who could sing for joy. And that is where I find comfort when I sing, whether I am preparing for worship here or when I have a chance to attend a service elsewhere. Because even if my pain does not allow me to declare my trust right now, or if someone else who worships alongside me is too weary to sing, we do not sing alone. We worship in community, and we can allow that community to sing for us. When I may not be able to declare, I sing because I'm happy or how great thou art, maybe you, my community of faith, can. Instead of using these words as I interpreted them as a kid at that funeral, telling me that I ought to be happy, you can sing these words as a prayer for me, that I too will be able to sing them again one day. You can sing them as a witness to who God is and what God has done for you. And maybe later on, when I am able to sing them again, I can sing them for you in turn, when you aren't able to yourself, as we wait in hope for the Lord together. We can do this because God makes, us, makes it possible. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we are one in Christ, and our hope is in God. As Psalm 33 reminds us, if we put our hope in the powers of the world, that hope is ultimately in vain. Horses and armies and kings and nations cannot save, but the one who watches over all who live on earth can. And so we wait and hope for God. And while we wait, we sing. We sing because scripture invites us to. We sing because it is fitting for us to praise God. We sing because we are a community and we all participate in worship. We sing because music stretches us, putting words on our lips that we might not come up with on our own, but that will shape and form our faith as we learn from one another. We sing because God is faithful and because that is true whether we are happy or not. We sing because God in Christ has set us free and will ultimately fulfill that freedom by making all things new. So in a few minutes after we pray, we will sing, His Eye is on the Sparrow. And, invite you, and I invite you, as we sing, to pay attention to the song and to yourself. How do you feel singing this song? Are you singing it for yourself as a prayer for someone else? How might you imagine someone else feeling differently about it from you? And why does it matter that we sing together? In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Let's pray. Creating and redeeming God, you made our hearts to sing. And in Jesus Christ, you teach us new songs. Teach us also to wait with patience and hope, trusting in your holy name and declaring your faithfulness to one another. 
for you are a God whose eyes are on those who fear you. And our hope is in your unfailing love. Amen.